in my practice with people, it's a mainly a somatic practice, but a big part of it too is also opening what are our ideas about what's possible. And I think that really changes what happens in our life and our body. And getting back to this idea as dancing being something much different than being able to memorize sequences of movement and execute them to a certain aesthetic standard, which I think is what dance has been sort of limited to or broken down to or boxed into. When you actually think about what's going on, it's really the body's capacity to be in present time and respond in movement, which Mm. is, I find when I do that, I become more aligned with my sort of more true self or I become more aligned with life itself if that makes sense like I become more pliable more flexible I become more empathetic I become more understanding I feel more free because less of me is caught up in fixation and more of me is aligned with movement Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, a podcast exploring the medium of movement and looking into how it has the capacity to transform not only our physical bodies, but potentially every other facet of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek a movement guide here to help people find their own unique and authentic relationship to movement through creativity, curiosity, and self-expression. Join me as I dive into deep conversations with a wide variety of individuals from many different fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their own unique movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope these recorded conversations will inspire and empower you to find your own unique movement journey in your life, in your own way. Welcome to this week's episode of This Thing Called Movement, featuring Elizabeth Chitty. Elizabeth is a somatic therapist specializing in rolfing and craniosacral therapy, in addition to also working as a professional dancer. Elizabeth brings such unique perspective to the world of movement, and I am so excited to share this really rich and engaging conversation we had. We got to dig into a lot of elements and nuances around movement that I haven't quite gone to unpack to this extent yet, so I'm really excited to bring this to you guys today. Some of these standout moments in our conversation were discussing the importance of change in life and how movement shows us that, in fact, change is the natural state of being, whereas sameness or things 
unshifting, unchanging are really what are unnatural and how learning to embrace change in life can actually be a really gratifying experience. We also discuss the importance of support and how somatic memory shows us how support can create life-changing shifts in our consciousness and our ability to interact with our world and our surroundings, and most importantly, to take care of ourselves. And then perhaps one of my favorite little kernels of wisdom was the concept of learning how to enjoy rather than manage when it comes to interacting with our body, relating with it, and giving it the various forms of nourishment that it needs. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording it. And for now, just go ahead and sit back, relax, and allow these little pearls of wisdom to wash over you. Hi. <laughs> so as Marie mentioned, I'm a dancer. Um, I've been dancing since I was a child and had a professional career um, and also did a fair amount of teaching and ran my own small dance company in San Francisco for a number of years. Um, and then out of that or through that um, in a number of different ways, I've gotten more and more involved as a somatic therapist. Um, my parents run a school in Boulder called the Colorado School of Energy Studies, and they teach craniosacral therapy, polarity therapy, and somatic-based trauma resolution. And so I've studied with them as well as studying uh, Rolfing structural integration. Um, and yeah, that kind of gives me sort of a holistic approach as a therapist, understanding the body and how the body is sort of more primary than we think of a lot in terms of our experience of the world and our identity and who we think we are and how we feel about the world. And um, so I work privately with clients um, around chronic pain issues, but also um, somatic and emotional issues, uh, psycho-emotional issues, as well as um, helping people recover from various types of trauma. And um, my real interest is in how that, connects with um, a lot of what I've learned about myself through dancing and through yoga. And um, maybe someday there will be something that's a little bit more uh, thoroughly fleshed out. My biggest dance mentor, Holly Johnston, um, and I have talked a lot about uh, how to offer what we know about movement through dance um, and what it's offered us to non-dancing populations for healing and expression and just about being in the world and how to offer dancers better tools for development, growth, and healing um, with the dance skills they already know. So we sort of batted around trying to create uh, a more formalized program of that. But at the moment, that has not happened yet. That's such a big and and beautiful vision. It's it's one that I feel really connected to as well. It's what my work really focuses on. Uh, And definitely through my lens and my community, both, well, not both in dance and training, but especially in training and fitness, how the body just holds so much more than people think it does. And it's not, I actually talked about this today, it's not a machine, it is a consciousness and it is a physical uh, consciousness, but it's consciousness and we 
definitely have a lot of shifting to do in terms of our relationship to that consciousness, especially the general public and dancers as well. And so I love that that's, that's a huge draw to you because I think it's something that's so needed and we need so many people um, to offer their unique perspective on how to help us change this aspect and this relationship with ourselves. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, so that's actually kind of a great segue for my first and one of my favorite questions. What has been your movement journey? Feel free to discuss any aspects of movement uh, came into your life throughout your life from childhood into now and how they've been informing you as a human being today. Yeah, I think I, like, um, as I've explored my history and my family, I come from a family of pretty disembodied, heady, smart people. <laughs> uh, I just married recently, and my dad's family all came for the wedding and then left as soon as the dancing started, which I thought was pretty indicative. Um, but I just think there was a lot of pain, especially in the women in my family, um, a lot of disempowerment and sort of living through the 40s and 50s and 60s as women and not having a lot of power. And I think where my the women in my lineage derived power was in being incredibly intelligent. Um, and that was sort of a way that they could mm, retreat from the world, I think, um, and live a little bit more in their own imaginative spaces and have a lot of um, empowerment there. Mm-hmm. So um, that being said, like I was, I just as a kid was, very uh like I wanted to read Dickens and I was just very heady and like I my parents got me into doing musicals when I was a kid and I did a um there's like a tape of me trying to step clap to the beat and it just was like I just had literally no idea what that like it was just so I remember my mom one time like turning the stereo all the way up like the bass all the way up and trying to get me to understand rhythm (laughs) And I just remember thinking she was completely insane. Like, I was like, I don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I just thought she was crazy. Um, So that said, like, I was just not, I was not super coordinated. I was not super athletic or anything like that. But I really got entranced by dancing. And I don't um, really have an explanation for that. But my thinking is just that it was... um, like my body was sort of calling to me in a certain way, like asking me to become more involved um, in my own life and my own experience. And um, so what that looked like a lot was, as you know, super competitive stuff that was like um, mainly disappointing for me (laughs) because I wasn't very good. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) Well, not in that way, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was just something that was really compelling to me and seeing people that were really awake and alive in their bodies. And I think we had a lot of the same influences and role models. There was just something that, that, that I craved. And I think I craved to know what that was and to feel in my body that way. Um, and so I, dance was always this thing that I was like, okay, I'm like actually pretty smart. I should probably like quit doing this dancing thing. Cause I'm not really very naturally good at it. And there's other things that I am naturally good at. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't quite ever do that. So I was like, Oh, I'll quit dancing when I get to high school. Like, oh, I'll quit dancing when I go to college. And, um, I didn't. And I became a dance major in college, which was, 
um, was a dance and political science major and everyone would be like, oh, you're going to be a tap dancing lawyer. <laughs> and, but to me, it was really, <laughs> what it became was like political science was sort of studying the human experience, like from the top down, whereas mm-hmm. dance really to me, what I learned in college was it was really a study of what it meant to be alive and what it meant to be human from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had some really amazing mentors that sort of guided me into that. And it just started to like, break down what I thought dance was, what it meant to me, what I wanted to do with it. Um, and, and really, I think most importantly, unlocked a lot of capacity in myself that I didn't believe that I had. Um, and so suddenly I was finishing college and feeling like maybe I'll be a professional dancer, which was just nothing that I had ever thought I would do. Um, but at that point I was just so, I had started to have a relationship with my body and I just craved that. Like I just wanted more of that and I just wanted to deepen into that. So then I moved to San Francisco and was like um, really hungering after the kind of athleticism that I'd been doing in college. And what I found in San Francisco was a lot more stylized ballet based kind of things that were just not what I was hungry for. So I kind of kept searching and at the same time I was a dancer. And so I was like, didn't have any money and was working at a coffee shop. And I was like, okay, this is not great. And my whole life, my parents had been therapists. And so they'd been self-employed and sort of built this whole life for themselves. And I was really like, wow, that would be much more interesting than this coffee shop thing that I'm doing. And um, my mom invited me to uh, do a course, do their course in biodynamic cranial psychotherapy. And I'd done some introductions with that, um, but I just really did it. And mainly it was because I just, I had heard everyone that did the course when I was growing up would tell me like, oh, I'm just, this has made my life so much richer. And at that point I was just looking to be more in relationship with my own life. Like mm-hmm. I could feel that I wasn't I couldn't actually appreciate the good things in my life. Like I couldn't actually be in contact with, I was always running ahead and sped up. And so I did that course and it really like that it's was groundbreaking for me because I just started to, it got into a lot of like somatic memories in my body um, from experiences and things started to be resolved. And I also, um, I mean, the, whole premise of craniosacral therapy is that there's inherent movement in the body at all times and that when that inherent movement can flow everything gets better everything from people feeling more present to you know chronic health problems being resolved mm-hmm. and so I started to understand movement as something like much more integral than this dancing thing that I was doing that actually my body had its own movement and its own health and that that was doing itself all the time and the more that I could attune to that the deeper I would feel I guess mm. and yeah from there I I got rolfed and that would just totally change my life like my dancing just got better one night and I was like wow I I think for so long I had a conflated sense of like if I work hard enough and I'm a good enough person then that will show up in me being a good dancer. And yeah. I think a lot of dancers have that. Um, and what I felt like I got from Rolfing and also from my mentor in LA um, was just a much more structural understanding of myself. Like, oh, actually things like the body actually has a lot of mechanics and things that you can work with. And it's not really about if I'm a good person or if I'm trying hard enough, but actually about getting smarter about organizing the body uh, I mean, that really started to change how I was teaching and like really trying to help give students t- 
tools so that they can improve rather than just efforting and feeling like they get worse, which I think is something that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up going to school for rolfing. Um, and that again, like as my body started to become more integrated and, um, my structure became more efficient, things like walking became suddenly really enjoyable. Um, and I could just start to like tune in and appreciate just like little kinds of movement. Um, and sorry, this is a long story, but no, it's so good. I'm like, I'm enraptured. Keep going. This is so beautiful. (laughs) So I lived in China for a little while. Um, I was really interested in what was happening there in terms of contemporary dance and modern dance it felt like again that was where the dancing I wanted to be doing was happening and I had an opportunity to go through a dance company that I was with and that was a really um I just got to really understand how differently we move culturally Mm. um there was so much the modern dance technique was the same in China and yet people's bodies would absorb it totally differently and what people did with that artistically I was just totally excited by so I just spent a whole chunk of time sort of like digging into the Chinese culture and learning Chinese and just sort of trying to understand this whole way of movement that felt very tied in with culture and with Tai Chi and things like that um and then I came back from China and I met my husband and he was really uh, a really deathful practitioner of Ashtanga yoga and I had lived in Boulder my whole life and had no idea what Ashtanga yoga was <laughs> or that the, one of the biggest teachers in the U.S. was in Boulder. Um, but I just liked him and wanted to impress him. So I started going. <laughs> and that was, again, a really profound thing for me because, um, well, for one thing, my body just started changing very quickly. So as a dancer, I'd been really fixated on a lot of things about my body and the shape of it and how it functioned. And to find a practice that would really efficiently start to transform my body in ways that I efforted for a really long time was exciting and empowering and really got me interested in, okay, what actually is energy? You know, I'd studied all these energy types of body work, but I think I still sort of thought it was all BS or I didn't get it in my body. I didn't know that I thought it was BS, but I didn't, fully get it mm-hmm. and with the yoga I could actually start to feel when how things would open up and I could feel that it was actually doing this very similar to what I would experience in a rolling session but that I could create that experience through myself and using breath mm. um, was really empowering and just started to I think open me more and more to I think where I am now is this idea that the body there's a whole lot of invisible stuff that happens in the body in terms of how energy is moving and working um and i don't mean that in like a woo way but actually in terms of hard science in terms of energetic fields and things like that that have been shown in hard science that we don't quite fully understand how it all works um and so i just think that the yoga sort of helped me to feel that and understand that in my body and it really brought together um, the meditation that I'd been doing sort of on and off, in and out for many years with movement. Um, mm. And I did a week-long Zen retreat and I came back to my yoga practice and my yoga teacher just looked at me and said, okay, whatever you're doing, like keep doing that because mm-hmm. it's really good for your yoga practice. Mm. And all I had been doing is sitting 
quietly for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really started to show me how my body and my mind were so interconnected. And I could feel the changes too, but it was really landed. And I had, had this question of like, okay, we do, you know, a two hour yoga practice. And at the end we sit in meditation for 15 breaths. Like why do we only meditate for 15 breaths? I thought the point of yoga was to, so you could sit and meditate. And it just like hit me on the head one day. I was like, oh, I've been meditating this whole time. Like this whole two hour <laughs> sequence is meditation. It's not actually any different. And it's actually opening. It's like a, just a more dynamic form of meditation that's opening things out in a physical way. Um, but it's moving mindfully with breath is not really different than sitting mindfully with breath. You know, they're like connected with the same continuum, you know, Um, because even in stillness, there's movement, like the inherent movement of the body you were talking about. And I, I think about what was so glorious to me about that competitive dance world. And it was really just those moments where I could completely let go in the moment and surrender and be overtaken by the movement itself and feel the swell of emotions and energy and blur the lines between where I existed and where I didn't because in that moment, I was actually experiencing what a lot of yogis or advanced uh, meditation practitioners do, which is that experience of oneness. And it it wasn't until I developed a meditation practice and then started going back into dance and into movement uh, exploration again and, and started hitting that experience again for the first time in years through movement that I realized, oh, yeah, this is the same as when I've been on the cushion and I've like been pushing past my mental and physical blocks for an hour and a half and then I have that release where you know I'm I'm like oneness with the world and it sounds cliche and kitschy but it's so true and I've always like I've I've always felt that connection to movement as a space for a connection to wholeness and to a connection to all things and to something greater. But I wasn't really able to understand it or even describe it until I developed my meditation practice. Yeah, no, I think it's, I, I think it's like a process of continually pulling back the layers and seeing deeper and like getting something on a deeper level. You're like, Oh, you know, <laughs> head. this is what they meant by, you know, it actually really just, in, it's like you deep more deeply embody something and then you actually understand it as true and not just think it as an idea. Yeah. And that's where I think some of like the big revelations are like the simplest because they're actually coming from an embodied understanding rather than from an abstraction or an ideal. Yeah, the, I think our culture really loves fancy abstracted ideas and we're not actually so good at appreciating simplicity and like simple, simple truths. Yeah, there's the difference between intellect and embodiment. And it doesn't mean one knowledge is more important than the other. They are, again, like in the same continuum. But for whatever reason... With the advent of technology, we've become so dependent and so 
I guess we've skewed our value to the intellect, right? And so it's all about the mind and your smarts and what you can come up with and process intellectually and screw the body. It's just like this dopey, like heavy piece of matter that you kind of have to maintain to like help your brain do what your brain does best. And and then Let's people put pretty things on it. Yeah. Really and then and then you know, meanwhile your body like your body has wisdom too. And then also being able to embody things that you understand intellectually is a way deeper form of knowledge. It's it's also way more connected than just being able to process it through your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, I mean, I sort of told the story of my family and where the disembodiment comes from in my family. But I think, I mean, as I study more about trauma and the body and how the body holds trauma and all of that, I just have a lot of compassion because I think a lot of us are sitting, you know, at the ends or as a crystallization of, you know, hundreds of years of generational trauma and not feeling is actually a pretty smart thing to do when you don't have the space or the support to actually feel the depth of everything. Because I think the more that you come into your body and can actually feel the more sensitive you become, which is beautiful because you can't actually enjoy or touch life without that sensitivity. And yet at the same time, it's a lot to feel, you know, it's like, I find that the, the more sensitive I become or the more sensitized it's like the less I do and the less I take on and the, the simpler my life becomes because I can actually taste the flavor of my life. And also because I have to take the time to really be with and sit with and process things as they're unfolding. And that, that actually, you know, that isn't, most people don't have time for that. You know, there's not time and there's not space and there's not support to pursue that. And I've just been really lucky in my life to have um, a lot of opportunities to be with, to be in groups and spaces where there's a lot of space for that kind of processing and developing and unfolding. Yeah. It's, I think what you're also describing is what it means to be completely present. And when you're actually completely present, when all of your attention and your energy is honed in on one specific thing or one specific moment, it just, it holds so much more power, right? It, by nature, to be doing several things at once is actually already dissipating your ability to be fully present. And so when we as a culture pride ourselves on being multitaskers uh, and we necessitate it in order to survive that you have to be able to juggle six things at once otherwise you can't keep up then people lose the practice of presence and then when it comes to actually feeling something as it comes up you can't like you said there's no bandwidth for it and your psyche only allows you to process what it's ready to handle and everything else that'll push away it's actually pretty damn smart so I I think movement what's so beautiful about it is it's it's one of the simpler entryways into like flexing that muscle of awareness and and calling back your presence and calling back your power and a billing a bit an ability to slowly turn up the dial 
gradually over time on being able to actually feel the feelings that come through and to connect with them and to engage with them versus just letting them slip past or trying to push them somewhere. Yeah. And I feel like for me, that was like an interesting realization that I came to because I went to this whole thing and um, I, I was assisting a workshop in LA with my mentor and we had this whole thing that we both were really passionate about dancing as healing and dancing is so much more than dancing. And how do you really teach or talk about dance in this way? And um, so we were developing this whole workshop with all these ideas about how to bring forward these other components but it was a dance workshop, you know, and one day um, my mentor just taught a really full body kick-ass dance class with a lot of improvisation and just really encouraging pursuit in the body. And we both left that. I mean, I just got, you know, to the that kind of a place where you're talking about where you just are so uh, conscious with your whole body and you're not just conscious, but you're actually taking that consciousness in and making choices in space and time, which I think is one piece that my dance practice and improvisation practice has that things like my somatic therapeutic practice, that's a lot about holding and healing, but how do you take that energy that and what's opened and actually develop that and to create a potential out in the world? And I think that in really great dancing that's happening simultaneously, you're seeing someone who is simultaneously completely sensitive to everything they're doing and is taking that sensitivity and in the moment manifesting creative potential and then oftentimes doing that in a group of people. And so I have two points. One is that I think when we talk about dance or we think about dance where if we used different language, we could actually really appreciate the level of intelligence that's at work that I think is often ignored. Um, but more importantly for me in that moment, I left the class and my mentor and I were joking. We were like, oh, like dancing is where it's at. <laughs> Something other than dancing. Yeah. You know? like we, we don't have to explain it as therapy. We don't actually have to explain it as anything. It is dancing and it's the rest of the culture that needs to understand the complexity of what's happening and the profundity of what's happening in dancing. Not for us to need to change what we're doing to be therapy or spirituality or anything because dance can, I think, and often doesn't, but can um, really be all of that. And it's actually our understanding of dancing that has to change, not that we have to like fit dance or movement in these other boxes. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that's actually been a big reason why I call my work intuitive movement, not because it isn't dance um, or because it's so different. It's actually mostly because of the perception around dance. And so my goal is to to use a word or use a phrase that doesn't have any specific meaning or history or perception tied around it so that people can come into their clean without kind of like anything getting in the way. And especially when you're working with regular people um, who aren't dancers or don't have a formal background, it's interesting how the word dance is pretty instantaneously polarizing. 
uh, it's very rare that you have somebody who's in the middle. It's usually people love it or they're terrified of it. And usually the people who are terrified of it secretly love it. But the the terror that's holding them back is the unworthiness and, you know, the fact that they haven't earned their salt because they haven't practiced or they look silly. So there's all this shame and anxiety and fear tied in that's blocking them from something that like you pointed out, you and your childhood had this inherent calling to it. I think as human beings, we are all called to engage with movement in this free form, creative, expressive, liberated way. And so many of us, when I look at people and I just watch people and as I walk past them or I see them on the subway, like I think about how many of them actually engage with their bodies in that way and actually engage with themselves. And I love what you said about encouraging pursuit and, and you know, al- allowing that moment in dance to be one that allows you to become so conscious. And then that consciousness by nature, because it is creative, it is energy building and momentum building, actually empowers you. It, it, allows you to expand your ability to do things outside of that after it's done. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think, um, yeah, there's just uh, not a lot of invitation to play either. You know, I think we're all, not we all, but I just think our bodies hold so much. um, It's, it's, hard to remember that we can just be playful you know yeah like we've we laid in so much weight and meaning and identity in our bodies that it feels like everything that our body um creates or shares has to be a reflection of this micromanaged perfect identity that we're trying to hold on to um rather than letting the body recreate itself in every second you know and to be something different in every moment Yeah, to let it unfold and evolve and live and be. So actually, that was such a great little rabbit hole we dove down. Um, And it leads me to my next question. So if you could define movement, how would you? Or how would you kind of explain what the word or the concept of movement means to you? Well... Dr. Stone, who founded Polarity Therapy, which is really sort of the origin point of my parents' therapeutic understanding, these of his mind, um, said that uh, movement is health, disease is fixation. Mm. Um, And to me, that is, I don't know if it's a definition, but it gets at the heart of it. Um, I mean, really, when we look around the world, things that are alive move and things that are dead don't, you know? <laughs> so and Dr. Stone really meant it across every level, emotional, physical, and in our, in our ideas and our expectations, which I think is maybe the most interesting. Um, certainly in my studies of roughing and structural integration, one of the key marks of health of the structure is does it move? You know, Mm. where is it not moving and how could you help it move? Because if you can help something that's stuck move, the whole system will start to orient and reintegrate. And same thing in craniosacral therapy. It's like, does this bone move? Is the whole body, you know, perceptible and capable to move? When I hold my little 
four-year-old, four-month-old son, when he breathes, his head moves. You know, mm. his, his whole system is so open that the movement of his diaphragm and ribcage and breath actually affects his head. Mm. And that in rolfing would be, you know, a key mark of health. Um, but then I think more subtly, um, you know, we are very fixated in our ideas about what's possible and, and how things should go and who we are and how we should be. Um, one of my most profound rolfing sessions uh, that I received, my practitioner opened the fascia inside my head Whoa. released it. And I just walked out of there and suddenly everything that, that I thought had to be true about my life, I didn't believe anymore. It was like I had more space to imagine what could be possible. And my life, pretty much com- every single thing in my life pretty much completely shifted within four or five months. Wow. Just from a shift in what I thought was possible. I remember I sat out on the lawn and I thought, wow, I wonder why Like, that's limiting, that's limiting, that's limiting. And so I love that story because it was a very physical, you know, there was nothing psycho-emotional about the session. He dug his, he, you know, laid his elbow on my forehead and opened that. But the result and the impact was very psycho-emotional. And then that, I didn't have to do anything to change my life, but everything, as soon as I started to imagine that other things were possible, um, they just started to come to me. Like, I think maybe a week later, I got an email inviting me to go down to LA for three weeks to be paid full time to dance, which meant that I had to quit my desk job, which meant that I, you know, I mean, it was just a whole sequence of events that um, sort of opened everything up. And so in my practice with people, a lot of a big part of it, it's a mainly a somatic practice, but a big part of it too is also opening what are our ideas about what's possible. Um, And I think that, you know, the, that really changes what happens in our life and our body and all of that. So, um, and, and getting back to this idea as dancing being something much different than being able to memorize sequences of movement and execute them to a certain aesthetic standard, which I think is what dance has been sort of limited to or broken down to or boxed into. Mm-hmm. Um, when you actually think about what's actually going on, it's really the body's capacity to be in present time and respond in movement, which mm-hmm. is, I find when I do that, I become more aligned with my sort of more true self or I become more aligned with life itself, if that makes sense. Like I become more pliable, more flexible. I become more empathetic. I become more understanding. I feel more free because less of me is caught up in fixation and more of me is aligned with movement. Um, My last little kind of story I'll tell about that is when I was saying Rolfing, um, there's this, big thing in rolfing where you, you watch a person move and then you work on them and then you see what's changed. So mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of like, what change did you get? Did it just <laughs> change? I was always so anxious. I, I think I didn't, I would be like, I didn't do a good enough job. Did it get enough change? Mm. I got to change things. And we were doing some, rolfing also has an element of it that's called rolf movement, which is about movement patterning and um, sort of a more neurological way to get at structural change unless uh, taking your arms and elbows and hands into people. And 
you know, we did something like laid on a blanket and washed our breath for five minutes. And then we got up and walked and saw what the change was. And my walking had changed. And I just, again, it was one of those like light bulb moments where you're like, oh, actually everything is changing all the time. Yeah. Like actually nothing is same, the same from, mo- from moment to moment. And it's actually our ideas and our limiting beliefs and our identities that keep us the same. And actually it's the sameness that is unnatural, not the change. Yes. And so all I really have to do as a rolfer is just help find inroads to remind people about change and Mm. to remind them that change is natural and it's inevitable. Um, And that I think is, has been a big shift for me is that you can actually like that life is always moving, you know? So movement isn't actually anything that you're creating that's different than what life is. It's just, finding ways to be more in the flow of life because when you're more in the flow of life it's a heck of a lot well I don't know if it's easier but resistance is tiring um and there's a lot of growth and change and beauty that can happen when you're actually allowing um rather than resisting and I think a lot of what we do is resisting and um yeah yeah Oh my gosh, that was amazing. I have like so many things I want to connect with. And the first thing that's coming up was your experience with um, with the release in the fascia of your head and and how you had like this incredibly visceral experience, not only physically, but on all, all other levels of your being. And, and I remember... Um, because actually it was through you, I got to be in China teaching for a couple of months as well. And one of the most significant moments there for me was uh, when I asked if we could use one of the spaces, you know, without the students after we were done for four hours. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, four hours, that's a lot of time. Like, what are you going to do in there? And, you know, when when it push came to shove, four hours wasn't enough time, and and I came away from that experience being like, I have never just like given myself a few hours to just be with my body in a space, and to let myself do whatever I need or want or am interested in in that time. And so I started when I came back to New York, consistently signing out a dance space nearby for a two hour chunk of time every week. And I committed to it. And, you know, some some weeks I did like stretching stuff. Some weeks I would improvise. Some weeks I would do choreography. Some weeks I just ran around. Some weeks I journaled. Some weeks I sat. Like it it was always different. Um, But there was something so interesting about allowing myself the freedom to move in whatever way I needed, uh, whether it was dancing, whether it was, you know, some of the training methodologies I like to play around with and explore, whether it was trying to create something that I could anchor back into and, and, and hone and polish and, and craft. And I think so much about how integral that time was to helping me integrate as a human being. There was something about going back into the space of pure potential uh, and and how that opened up pure potential in so many other areas of my life. It opened up my mind to how I could show up in the world, you know, as a 
as an expert, as a teacher, as a coach, as a business person, it opened up how I could show up in relationship to other people, how I could navigate my life. And and it was actually very similar to your experience, except it didn't happen in one fell swoop. But there's something about allowing yourself to move freely and expand and explore that literally like moves that expansion and exploration into every arena of your life. And, you know, science is getting to the point where it's starting to do enough testing on dance versus other forms of physical activity, especially social dance, and how it's distinctly different than any other form of activity. But I don't even feel we have the full technological capacity to really ever fully understand how something like movement and dance actually shapes and channels the energy within us, around us, in our past, in our future. It's it's the most powerful force I've ever known. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I just think there's something too about like when you enter a space and you just like make permission, you know, when there, when just when there's permission for whatever it is. Like I think we spend so much time trying to organize and manage ourselves to be something (laughs) and rather than uh, having there be space for, you know, and actually I think for when things arise from the inside out, um, there has to be space for them. Like first the space has to be there because otherwise we're just, um, creating more from wherever we are like there has to be that sort of magical moment when things um sort of soften or dissolve and open and then something new can come out but if there's no space for the softening and the dissolving and the opening which a lot of times we don't like because that's like when it's quiet or when it's boring or when we feel like you know i mean there's all these moments when things are softening breaking breaking and opening um, so that something new can arise, but we oftentimes don't have the time or the patience or we have too much judgment to actually be with the softening and the breaking and the opening. But we just want the part where everything comes out anew. Mm. Yeah, we're not willing to experience the full spectrum. You know, and it's funny because as much as I have been in that process myself and, and seen the necessity of that softening, breaking, quieting that you're describing. Uh, And the stage of my life I'm in right now, where I'm in this big life transition, uh, personally and emotionally and in relationship to um, somebody else, a former partner, and now transitioning into just being by myself. It's, It's so fascinating how, like, I know this is a really important space and that this place holds a lot of wisdom and it needs that permission. And, and I'm, I'm doing my best to honor that, but there are days where it's just, it is so hard and it is so maddening, you know? Um, And I like this, just like life, when you have big ups, you're going to also have big downs and then you're going to have those ones in the middle. And this just happens to be one of the deeper valleys I've had to go through. But it's interesting, like despite all the knowing, it connects back to what you were saying about the sensitivity. Actually, when you become more aware and you become more present with all this stuff and sensitive to the nuance of it. You, the feeling uh, 
potential actually like expands its bandwidth. And so suddenly you are interacting with layers of yourself that you've never come into contact before. And it can feel overwhelming. It can definitely feel like a lot. Yeah. And I think the other big thing, and this is sort of the last, I guess, part of my movement history is where this comes from. That I didn't get into is um, comes from Ray Castellino, who, who works a lot with adults around their birth process, and which is fascinating, and also with babies. Um, but really developing an understanding of the places where we hold somatic memory of really early childhood, and that our body actually remembers, but we don't because our um, mm. cognitive memory functions haven't come online yet, but our bodily memories do. And he does a lot with mm. helping people sequence movements that have been unconscious and how transformative that can be. And I feel like that's one last piece about movement. But uh, um, one thing that comes from his work is just really around support, you know, that like we all need so much more support than we have and that our culture than that our culture is set up for and when we have more support to me that's because we i mean we can talk about like oh this is the really hard time in my life and it's going to open to something wonderful and it's i think it's awesome to have that viewpoint and sometimes it doesn't for people sometimes you go through something really shitty and you just feel worse afterward and to me, the difference in those moments is, is whether there's the support there and whether there's, there's the receptivity to receive the support. Mm. Um, because when we have more support, the more supported we are, the more we can go through. And often that support is internal, like just the more capacity you have for presence, the more internally supported you are to meet whatever challenges life has. Um, but then often sometimes it's external, you know, and I think... I have a judgment around that. I think most of us do that. Like I should be able to get through this myself um, rather than, and like, if I knew enough, or if I was good enough, I would make it through this on my own Yeah. rather than really knowing how important support is and how much our physiology changes when we have support and then how much more resource we are. Like Ray does an exercise called two layers of support where it's just an exercise with one person and then they feel supported by another person. Like they have another person come and sit next to them and they just know it is what happens in their body when they just have the support of someone making contact in a really neutral way, just what that does. Mm. And then you have another person supporting the support person. And then the, to the person who's experiencing sees how much their physiology changes just with the person that they're supporting, the person who's supporting them feeling supported. Wow. And just how much these layers of support really physiologically change our orientation to the challenges that we're being presented with. And then how much that impacts our capacity to rise in the mm. face of challenge, which I think is ultimately what it's all about. You know, I don't think any of us want to just like sit on a couch and be blissed out all day. <laughs> but actually to be able to have the resource to meet increasing challenge, I think is my dad would say that's the purpose of life. I'm not mm. sure if I'm totally hundred percent on board with that, but I'm probably saying percent. <laughs> <laughs> what does that have the resource to meet increasing challenge? Yeah. Mm. It's like, and that's what I found that a lot of people do the cranial training and they're like, cause I've assisted it a number of times now and been on the back end and, People are like, wow, now that I have this skill of sensitivity and resource and understanding my own body's health, like nothing is ever going to go wrong because I understand my nervous system and I have all these resources to regulate. And I'm like, 
no, no. Everything <laughs> just becomes like you're just more in touch with and then the challenges are bigger, you know, and then more of you has to show up and more of you has to grow. And um, to me, it just feels like it's you're more in contact with what's happening in your life, not that it gets easier. Mm-hmm. Like there was a Zen teacher who said, it's not that I don't have any problems. It's just that they don't bother me as much. Yeah. It's like the resilience grows and then you can meet more and then you can actually like be in a relationship with it rather than just avoiding, you know, which I think makes us feel like, what am I doing this being alive thing for? Mm. <laughs> if all the, if all the growth points that are showing up for me, I just want to avoid and be more numb, you know? Yeah. Well, so I actually, I think this is a great point to ask you, what has been the greatest gift movement has given you? Um, well, I sort of feel like I've been in a relationship with movement. Like we've been in a really long-term relationship <laughs> since I was about 10 years old. Um, and it, sometimes it was like kind of an abusive relationship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can relate. <laughs> but I do feel like it's, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it like it in some ways it uploaded a bunch of ideas that I've had to spend the past maybe 10 years deprogramming for myself. But that journey of all that deprogramming has been so profound. Um, And so I just feel like in a certain way, dance has been this partner that was like waiting to lead me into myself. And, you know, I mean, growing up, I was around all this somatic therapy and I was like, yeah, right. Like, give me some rhinestones and a trip to the mall and some hairspray and some fake eyelashes. Like, you're not doing this, like, go for a hike, dance around in the woods thing. Like, I would just, you know, that was really my viewpoint. And, um, you know, I just never would have gotten into all these things that my parents were interested in. I just was like, oh, God, no way. Um and it was like dancing that's been this through line that really has taken me into all these places that I just never would have gone. It's like a, like, like a tricky little, you know, in college I had a ballet teacher who was really into yoga and I just was like, yoga, no way that is like bolder, not interested. I want to be on TV or something. And, <laughs> but then I had a ballet teacher who was into yoga. Like, okay, cool. Okay. Maybe I'll get into it a little bit like that. Or, you know, it's just like, I feel like it's just always been there and the, it inspired so much hunger in me that it was like a hunger that could sustain me on a journey that's continually unfolding and the hunger doesn't go away. Um, it just kind of keeps unfolding more and more layers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because like I just had a baby this summer and so my life is like, I'm moving less in terms of, like in a dance studio, like with sweat, you know, I'm moving way less than I ever have in my life. Um, but I actually feel like movement has informed me to be able to do that. If that makes sense. Yes. Like I think if I hadn't had my journey with movement, then being this stagnant would make me feel a little insane. And it does sometimes. And my husband's like, so when are you going to um, do some dancing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do think that I'm, able to be in relationship with my body and my life as a dancer even when I'm like you know bouncing my little boy up for the the 10th hour of the day and my shoulders feel like totally stiff or I'm just in the kitchen washing dishes or doing laundry for the millionth time or whatever it's like I can 
be with that and have the same presence for that that I would, you know, like, like I love cleaning the kitchen, which if you told me that when I was 15, I would have been like, yeah, right. I'm going to be a movie star. And, you know, I don't know what I would have said. You probably know, but um, <laughs> to actually enjoy the creative possibility of cleaning the kitchen um, and, or enjoy the creative possibility of just being in my house and then being able, you know, just to move with my son like my husband and I just have little dance parties in the living room mm. and it like is refreshing for us and refresh, you know for him and um I don't know I just feel like I'm more of myself than I've ever been and it's been it's like dance but more specifically just my body you know and its capacity to know and move through space and um it's just interesting because like I think I'm I feel the most at ease and at home in my body as I ever have. And I'm doing the least amount of like efforting or needing something to happen. I've, um, I've had the same experience. It's been wild. I, I, I mean, I had it a different way, went from like intensive dance to like intensive in the training world and then trying to ma- manage both a dance career and a training uh, business at the same time. And then eventually just went, full into training where I definitely stretched myself thin physically, mentally, emotionally, all sorts of stuff. And then, um, you know, the last two years when I had like my big wake up call, which was like, I did all the things that I thought were going to make me happy and I'm not happy and I have no idea what I want and who I want to be and what my life is supposed to look like. And it was like the moment of fuck. (laughs) I, um, I turned to spirituality and meditation and I literally stopped moving. And I think you and I connected around that time. It had been about six months in and I I just wasn't doing anything. I was, I was, I recognized that if I had a movement practice, uh, like on any scale of what I was used to, I was never going to make time to actually do the inner work at the level I felt I needed. So I was replacing one for the other and it's an interesting thing now now feeling grounded in my own spirituality and my meditation practice coming back into movement because I don't have that frantic desire to move a lot either. Like people, both clients, people I work with, and then people in general always asking like what I do because I'm at my most mobile. I am at my least injured. I'm at my most athletic and strong. Um But there's like a suppleness, there's a freedom there, like it's just so much more integrated and loose and available, but resilient and powerful. And everyone wants to know what I'm doing. It's like I walk a lot, you know, and I sit and then and then when I want to do a little something more, I do something more. But it's, it's actually like only a few hours a week where I'm really actively engaging with something, if then. Uh, and it's so yeah. interesting how, how, like you're saying, doing less at a certain point um, actually ends up meaning more. And I wonder if there's something tied to that. Like once you've had some of these incredible realizations through movement and it's able to open things up for you and show you other levels of your humanity and your consciousness and your ability to be aware and find that support within yourself, if at that point, like you don't, you don't need to engage with it as much, right? Um, it's now offering you the subtle beauty, the su- like the subtle wonders and pleasures, and in simplicity. I, I mean, I just love 
walking and and feeling my body expand in all directions and just kind of like feeling this naturally radiating expansive energy like the energy of the sun you know and that that's in walking like you don't and that's such an incredible thing to be able to tap into just because you're going from one place to the next yeah well and I think it's also like um I think it's a bottom up rewiring like you were talking about uh how in our culture our bodies are really thought of as machines Mm -hmm. and I think and they're not I mean they just aren't actually like they're much more quantum than we give them credit for and I think they're much more mysterious like I think we somehow live in this illusion that when we fully understand what's happening in our bodies and we just don't I mean yeah (laughs) that's neuroscience you know um and for embryology I mean it's epigenetics everything so alive in our body and I think as as we have some of these experiences that open us up to the continuity of mind and body that open us to the capacity of, of body, uh, we really start to have a lived experience of the more quantum nature of the body, which is really different from a linear and mechanical nature of, a, of the body. And I think when we live in a when we live in an understanding of the body as linear and mechanical and a total like sort of slave of the mind that takes us through space and does what we want it to do um i think we approached life really differently and like my mentor holly would always say like you might not know how to do this but your body will figure it out (laughs) actually when you start to have faith in your body your body will figure it out it's like you don't have to do 1200 push-ups to get the strength to figure out how to move from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Your body will actually figure out how to move from point A to point B regardless of however many push-ups you've done. Like the strength and the capacity will show up if you ask it. Mm-hmm. But when we relate to our bodies as machines and then we think the only way to be in our body is as a machine, then we've we're li- we're living in a really like sort of yucky space, and then our and then our mind sort of is operating that way too, and then we see our whole life in that sort of a mechanistic view. Like I have to get this job to make this much money to buy that, and really, it's like life doesn't actually work like that. I mean, it's not an ordered sequence of events that you can plan. It's the same thing with your body. I mean, we're just understanding. It's not like okay, if every person eats this and this and this and has that many calories, they will look like this. I mean, our bodies don't work that way. It's not like if you do 12 push-ups and 33 sit-ups and da 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 then you'll look like that. I mean, and you'll be able to do that. Like our bodies are processing so much more information and are capable of so much more. And I think when you know that from a lived ex- from a place of lived experience, there's um, – yeah, like you can drink that all the time and you don't have to prove it to yourself to be able to drink it. Yeah. Um, and you can actually enjoy rather than manage, um, which is a relief. Because there's a lot of managing in my life. I mean, but like, haven't we all? Like, think yeah. about it. The the dialogue we're having right now, I don't, I don't think this was ever a thing when we were kids. And... And I think it's starting, it's, it's kind of starting to shift in, in the consciousness of humanity at large. I, I, I feel there's a, a change a coming. Um, but, you know, I, I, there was such a revelation to me going through my meditation work and going through 
to these extensive workshops and retreats where we'd be meditating like eight hours a day, like some places we'd meditate all throughout the whole night. We didn't sleep. And it was, it was so fascinating to come through that and to just have a totally different experience of the body in a totally different phase of movement and energy. And then to kind of like have everything that I'd spent so many years diligently learning and applying about like through training and biomechanics and um, like like all those methods I'd been I'd been studying so devoutly and also had felt that that inherently everybody is different and there's so much going on that even when I'm you know giving a movement prescription to somebody it's never going to have the same effect like I have to figure out what is going on energetically with this person to find the right movement medicine. But the I love that you bring it into the quantum because that is actually what it is. It is just that it's pure potential. It's it's consciousness with pure potential. And it isn't this crummy car that we have to fix and manipulate and make better, you know, and like trade in this part for this one and like, you know, improve my quads because they are weak like i mean it's it's good that that this stuff is shifting and um and that the conversations are being had like this one today yeah yeah totally i'd like to give a shout out to all the hippies because it's like <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed by how much like i think it was a relatively small movement in terms of population and number of people, but just, um, and I, I just have to imagine with all the things that I want to build and do and all the ways I want to help people like, and to know that a lot of them are going to fail or I'm not going to, but to just know that there was like a group of people that were that interested and God knows many of them probably failed or didn't do what they wanted to do. But it's like, we're at this place now that like most of the country does yoga where 30 years ago, that would have just felt like, you know, sacrilege or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but that these inroads of our consciousness are shifting, you know, and that it's becoming more mainstream in all these different ways. And, um, I don't know, to me, it's, just, it's like a, it's a reminder or maybe I don't know, my imaginative hope <laughs> is that it's something that's unfolding on its own, like through us as people. And I guess that gets a little esoteric, but just that we're all part of, sort of a, this manifesting of a greater understanding of who we are and that we're all sort of doing our diligent research through our own experience, but that we're all part of something greater that's unfolding itself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's not disconnected and it's not like any doing that any one of us has to do, but just rather that by being and unfolding, we're all part of this larger thing. Yeah. Special shout out to the <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I I'd have no problems getting esoteric because I think that is fundamentally what we are working at. And I think you put that so beautifully when you said we are all here to investigate through our own experience to contribute to that learning. Right. Um, that's such a great way of, of putting into perspective the importance of like really allowing your unique experience and allowing it to unfold and not wasting your time trying to you know, copy what other people are doing all the time or fit in the same mold as somebody else because we're all part of this network and we're all here 
to chart out a very specific part of that, you know? And if we don't honor that, then, then we're not really, we're not, we're not contributing and then we're not aligned, we're not fulfilled, we're not happy. And, and that's where breakdown happens. Like I had this realization, it was when I was pregnant. Um, Cause I, I was just, that was like a wild thing. But I was just realizing how my whole life I've been like sort of obsessed with figuring out like what my purpose is and like and then doing my purpose, you know, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of us are. And I think obviously it's great to feel aligned with purpose. So it's not to say anything against that. But I do feel like I had this like moment where I was like, oh, what if my purpose is not something that I'm doing? But like, what if actually every moment of my, you know, what if my actual experience itself is purposeful? Mm. And that the meaning of my life is not what I'm going to create or do, but actually there's something more potent that's happening just by my experience. And it's, there is no doing that has to happen for their purpose, if that makes sense. Oh my gosh. That's, I think that's wonderful. Like take out the doing and just be, just experience. That is the purpose. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, that actually is like kind of a perfect segue. We're we're doing so perfect. well with our flow. Um, so if you had any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you would like to share before we end this interview, what would they be? Um, listen to your body. <laughs> your body knows, you know, and you can actually really listen to it. And then when listening to your body is hard, get support and get help. Mm. You know, just whatever that is. But, um, yeah, and and don't be afraid to get support and receive support because actually the more support we receive, then the more capable we are to actually be generous. Like none of, no one is generous when they're under-supported. You just can't be generous when you're under-supported. So um, really like the more that you can receive and grow and listen to your body, the more you can be available for everybody else's doing that as well. Um, and, and yeah, just that it's like if you're in a moment and you want to know what to do next, just see what your body wants to do. Maybe it wants to lay on the floor and take a nap. Then you should take a nap, you know, <laughs> maybe it's hungry and then you need something. Maybe you feel like, you know, but just, it's like, I think that practice of like just pausing in any moment and just seeing what your body's doing and seeing what you're feeling and what you're noticing and letting that be true and valid and valuable um, is just, I think the most important thing. And I think that, you know, there's a psycho-emotional component to that. Like there's just ways that we know in our gut what we need to do and what we want to do, you know, all of that. And um, I guess my biggest thing is just that it's like, I think life is in my experience of my life. So I can't really speak for everyone, but I do think that in my experience of my life, life is always inviting me deeper into myself and I can either accept that invitation or I can resist it. Mm. And um, sometimes it's super painful to accept that invitation and sometimes it's really hard. And so, you know, it's not like that that makes everything easier that it fixes everything, but just that when you show up for what life is asking you, it will grow you. 
in the ways that you need to be grown right now. Yes. And you don't actually have to think about it. And, and so when it feels like life is wrong or things aren't going our way or don't, it's like the more, I, and it's so fucking hard, so I'm not trying to make it like it's an easy thing, <laughs> but the more you can just be where you are and see what happens next rather than just always trying to be somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I think that's when you come home to your own growth and your own maturation rather <laughs> Other than someone else's growth and someone else's maturation. It's like, you know, (laughs) walking through nature, right? Having a destination in mind, having expectations, and at a certain point you get lost. And to just keep Mm -hmm. walking when you feel the sense of, like, disorientation and confusion and to just walk faster or more frantically doesn't actually help you. Sometimes stopping, taking a breath. Oh, taking in the the scenery, taking in the experience of just where where you are, like even if it's not where you want to be, but just take stock of it, like really honor that. That oftentimes gives you that next little tidbit, that next little ping from your gut, from your intuition that will start guiding you back to where you're looking to go or what's right for you next, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, and I guess the long was that like the other thing is also just around intentionality because I think um the, like, like it's like when you set an intention you know my intention is x my intention is to whatever discover this to meet this person or whatever your intention is um to set the intention and then let it go because mm-hmm. you don't actually you might not actually know how to get there mm-hmm. so getting lost may be part of your intention and to, when you stay oriented to your intention, it gives a midline for everything around you to organize. Yeah. So holding an intention and then not having any judgment about what shows up, you know, like, oh, this is harder than I thought. This is, you know, and it'll intentions bring up all the things that are in the way of that intention. They don't usually just like manifest like, well, here's, I met, I intend to have a cake and then someone brings you a cake. You know, mm. it's like, it doesn't work that way. Um, but I do think that that is one way to get more, to have a clearer sense of relationship with what life is unfolding for you. Um, rather than just like whatever shows up at your door, it's like you have an intention and then see what's showing up. And if you really don't like what's showing up, like see what your intention is, mm. um, where you trying to go. You know, my dad says that if you know where you're going, your intentions to get your, your, if you know where you're going, your chances of getting there go way up. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's like articulating where you're going and then not making wrong what life brings you in relationship with where you're trying to go. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh, this was so wonderful, Chitty. Just like, as always, so much wisdom when I speak to you. And this this conversation was profound for me to listen to and engage with on so many levels, and I enjoyed it so much. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being with me here today. Um, thank you. I'm glad you finally made it happen, and thanks for having me. Yes, of course. So uh, for our listeners who are just so enamored with you like I am right now and want to get in touch with you or find a way to connect. If you can just let us know what's the best way to contact you, I'll be sure to write it all in the show notes as well for them to uh, directly click into. I had two websites. They both have contact me things. One 
it's just elizabethchitty.com. And then the other one is biodynamicsinmotion.com. Wonderful. Those are the easiest. All right. I'm also on Instagram at biodynamicsinmotion. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. That's it. Yay. That's a wrap. Hurrah. Yay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode on this thing called movement. I'm your host, Marie Janicek. And if you're interested in connecting with me directly, you can find me on Facebook under the name Marie Janicek and on Instagram at Marie Janicek. If you enjoyed this episode, Don't forget to leave us a review and make sure to share with your friends and family. In the meantime, I can't wait to connect with you all next week when we bring on our next guest. Until then, make sure to get out there and move.